Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For, For Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and as always during the show we'll be joined by our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. Now last week we previewed what was then the much anticipated and hyped doubleheader between the Matildas and the US national women's side as a veritable scene setter for the 2023 World Cup. In the end it turned out to be an underwhelming couple of results with a massive mountain decline for Tony Gustafsson, journalist who watches the women's game in this country closer than most is freelancer Joey Lynch whose uh, byline is on a lot of big publications ESPN uh, probably the leading one of those and Joey's going to join us to have a yarn about his thoughts on, on what we could take from that uh, series and uh, and where to from here for the Matildas we'll continue the international discussion around the Matildas and Socceroos with Willem after that and then we'll chat with uh, Another freelancer, this time from Berlin, German football expert Mark Lovell, who we uh, last talked to during the World Cup in Russia about uh, the German national side. He's got a very, very deep knowledge of German football and knows Ralph Rangnick. In fact, he wrote an excellent insider's piece. We're going to find out from him what we can expect as he takes over the managerial reins at Manchester United, and we'll wrap it up with Derek and an extended stoppage time as we do these days. Uh, Edge, um, you're in Bangkok uh, still, but um, you did get to watch both the Matildas games. Uh, yeah, what's your top-line assessment? Oh, I wouldn't miss watching the Matildas. They are one of my favourite teams, Rob. Uh, the top-line assessment is, how about those crowds? 40,000 or 39,106 at uh, Stadium Australia and then 20,495 in Newcastle. That sort of shows you just how much uh, popularity uh, this team has. However, um, let's not uh, sugarcoat it. Tony Gustafsson has a defensive problem and he's got uh, now um, a limited runway to get it right before the Women's World Cup and uh, we saw that exposed to its fullest in the first game in particular uh, when the two youngsters Courtney Evan and Jess Nash were look, looked uh, quite out of depth. So uh, we'll talk to Joey about that won't we Rob mm-hmm. um, but obviously uh, women's football still well and truly in the news because the Women's World Cup schedule was announced and Sydney are the big winners and Melbourne are the big losers Rob. Exactly, I know. Uh, well, anyone who's listened to the show long enough knows we do broadcast out of Melbourne. Well, you're in Bangkok, of course. But, hey, you know, we love Sydney and we love travelling there. And uh, good luck to Sydney for doing so well. But, uh, you know, it's an issue of politics. And, Willem, look, you've got the whole thing. Uh, why don't you start us off with uh, with with it and, um, and, and we'll take it from there. I certainly do, Rob. I'm also broadcasting from the football losers capital of Australia, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. FIFA has released its match schedule for the 2023 Women's World Cup. Australia to host 35 of 64 matches, including 11 knockout fixtures. Auckland's Eden Park will host the opener on July 20, with Stadium Australia in Sydney to host the final exactly a month later. Sydney hosts 11 games across two venues. Melbourne will host six, including two last 16 clashes. Brisbane have eight, and Adelaide and Perth have five matches apiece. So that is Melbourne and Victoria not learning their lessons from the 2015 Asian Cup. They're not going to have any matches beyond the round of 16, Michael, it feels very much like uh, Martin Pickford and co. perhaps haven't learned the lesson. Well, it, um, lack of vision, a lack of um, real commitment to a rectangular stadium strategy. Let's just not, uh, sh- you know, um, shirk around the, the bushes here. Um, the Amy Park is not FIFA compliant for quarterfinal at, at uh, FIFA uh, World Cup 
um, status for women and men. So Amy Park uh, was never going to be in the in the fixture. And with the uh, six to eight week um, exclusion that needs to be put in place for FIFA stadiums, that meant that uh, Docklands and also the MCG were off limits. Albeit, I'm incredibly negative about playing. Uh, big football matches at those two stadiums because they are ovals and not uh, purpose-built stadiums. It's time for Melbourne to open up the checkbook. The foundations are already built at Amy Park. Let's put the third level on it and let's get back competitive and let's get some big football events because uh, we're going to need Melbourne to have a big stadium, rectangular one, if we're ever going to win the World Cup. And that's the sort of visionary decisions governments need to make. And um, Sydney, we will... The rebuilding, Rob, of uh, Sydney Football Stadium, uh, mm. Western Sydney's ground and, and Stadium Australia, uh, they deserve to get uh, the lion's share of this and well done to them. Yeah, they do, Edge. But there is one point that doesn't get talked about at all in Melbourne these days, and that is that when Amy Park was built, it was designed to have an extension capacity to 50,000 and the reason why that they couldn't build it to that capacity originally was because of contractual issues with the, the Dockland Stadium, Marvel Stadium as it is right now. So there, there is a, a capacity issue there that could be extended. Uh, they'd need to rip down the entire sort of golf ball exterior of that stadium but I, I remember that well because uh, you know I was obviously covering uh, the A-League in the early days and, and the Melbourne Storm in the Rugby League. So uh, so that that uh, perhaps is a discussion point. Maybe someone down at Spring Street uh, ought to tap the cooler on the shoulder and say hey what's going on there? Maybe it's about time that uh, that, that extension happened. The A-League women's competition kicks off on Friday night with non-bank lender Liberty signing a multi-year naming rights partnership. Liberty's rights run through the entirety of the regular season and finals, with the company also a partner of the A-League men's competition. Separately from Friday, the A-League is set to unify their Facebook and Instagram channels to provide equal coverage. So, Rob, uh, the A-League women's is the latest piece of the puzzle. It leaves really the only, uh, only the Socceroos uh, on the market as one of the big revenue streams for the ACL and Football Australia, having recently signed off on, oh, over the past couple of years, of course, on a, uh, a new deal for the men's. Uh, a league competition, the Matildas, and a uh, a, a broadcast partner, of course. Yeah, well, I guess that adds another level of jeopardy to the qualifying uh, uh, situation for the Qatar World Cup, doesn't it? But uh, given the popularity of football from a commercial point of view and the great job that's being done at College Street, it's got to be um, uh, acknowledged and credit where it's due that um, that the people that are, are developing these commercial deals are doing some excellent work that uh, you'd have to think that regardless of uh, whether the Socceroos do go all the way, and you know our expectation is that they will. Uh, that um, that the brand is strong enough that uh, it will still attract the commercial sponsorship that uh, that it's lacking at the moment. Well, you say that we're hoping that they will get it wrong. Of course, we hope that they will. But grim news this week for the mm. Socceroos: the season is up to its draw for the Inter-Confederation World Cup playoffs, with the AFC pitted against Conmebol. Whoever advances from the AFC third place playoff will meet South America's fifth side in a one-match playoff in Qatar next June. The fourth place Concacaf side meets the winners of the Oceanic Qualifiers. And just quickly, one of those Oceanic Qualifiers, they've been delayed time and again, but they've this week been locked in for Qatar in March. Our Kiwi friends have been drawn with New Caledonia, Fiji and Papua New Guinea. But Michael, back to the Socceroos. If we forecast a doomsday scenario and we do uh, have to go through the fourth round, what is called the fourth round of the AFC Qualifiers, we will meet that fifth place South American side. And currently, fifth, sixth and seventh in their qualifiers read Peru, Chile, Uruguay. Mm-hmm. FIFA have also conducted the draw for the European playoffs to be held in March with three of 12 to progress. Granted, they can beat Turkey and North Macedonia respectively. Portugal and Italy are on a collision course 
as are Scotland and Wales if they get past Austria and Ukraine. In the third group, one of Russia, Poland, Sweden and the Czech Republic will qualify. So, Rob, huge storylines uh, either way in regarding Portugal and Italy. Portugal last missed the World Cup in 98 and I suppose many internationally are seeing this as one of the greatest ever. Ronaldo's swan song, so it'll be huge if that was to be denied uh, for he and the team. And, of course, Italy, if they would have missed two in a row and uh, do so as the European champions, uh, that would be... Uh, that would be quite distressing. <laughs> They've got to get through Northern Macedonia and Turkey. So, like, I mean, I know Northern Macedonia are, are, are the ultimate minnows in that. Uh, um Group, but uh, but since Goran Pandev left, they've they've stepped up to another level, and they've they've had some pretty impressive results. And uh, so no, they, they're not going to be easy for Italy to get over any more than obviously Turkey. I mean, you know, when, when you've got a, a a third place finish in a World Cup on your CV, you're a serious football country. So you know, Portugal will be very worried about this. And uh, of course, you know, my uh, heart on my sleeve as I sit in in Damo's studio here with the uh, the age headline champions of the world, Italy, uh, up on the wall there. They will be absolutely, you know, wadding bricks uh, that uh, that this might be the second World Cup that, that Italy misses out on, and uh, they'll quickly forget the European Cup triumph if that's if that ends up happening. Don't forget. So Italy and Portugal will be devastated to be there, Michael. But things are, I suppose, brighter for uh, Scotland and Wales. The teams of our good mates Derek and and Dino. Uh, Scotland, their last appearance in '98. Wales, their sole appearance in in 1958. They'll both be cock a hoop that the cards have fallen their way in terms of avoiding. Portugal and Italy, and you'd think particularly for Scotland, this has got to be their best chance ever of getting through and breaking that duck. Or that duck, that drought, I should say. These European playoffs have given Box to Box the most amazing opportunity. Uh, We'll be uh, marketing a live stream. (laughs) The first live stream is going to be uh, from Rob's lounge room when he's sitting next to his mate Zlatte as they watch Italy and North Macedonia. No, mate, I'll be down at Ligon Street at Cafe Nutterna like I was no, during no, the no, US, no. mate. This is, a, this is a professional pursuit. You, we've got to get your North Macedonian mate, uh, Zlatte, <laughs> and you to watch that game together. That would be Gogglebox to style. Gogglebox style. And then we'll do the same with Dino and Derek when Wales <laughs> and Scotland play each other in the... Um, you know, in their ultimate playoff. Because it'll Wales be like, it'll be like watching uh, Tribal Council at Survivor. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 Rob, you were channeling a bit of the Western Australian sports minister there by saying North Macedonia are actually going to compete with Italy. Y- you're kidding, aren't you? No, I'm not. You, I mean, look, you've been you know uh, bristling Northern Macedonia for some time now, and at some point you're going to acknowledge that they actually do know how to play the game, and uh, and that they uh, they did put on a creditable display in the, in the Euros. So you know they've made their their way into the finals. There's plenty of other uh, European quality sides with uh, with better. Uh, pedigree on paper that, that haven't made it. So, no, I, I think it far from Italy being a sure thing that, uh, you know, in a one-off fixture, mate, um, you, you just do not take anything for granted. Italy will score five. Well, I hope they do. And I hope it's well, I think if we want to, I think if we want to raise a bit of revenue, the way to do it would be to organise a fight night. In the Heidelberg corner, Michael Edgley, and in the Preston corner, Zlatte Angelovsky. <laughs> Yeah, well, if Edge keeps on sort of um, making some of the, the, the less politically correct remarks he, he made about the, the Northern Macedonians' um, uh, uh, clubhouse, as he did on one occasion, then maybe it would be bloodshed. And a final one, Rob. The AFC have announced a couple of changes to the Asian Champions League with its spring to autumn calendar to switch to the autumn to spring calendar. In Australia, this means the competition will run from September to May from 2023 with entrants to have qualified four months earlier 
rather than the current nine to ten month wait. Foreign player allocations are also set to change from the current three plus one. Uh, they're tossing up a, a couple of options, three options in fact, four plus two, or five plus one, or five plus two. But I don't think that matters so much. What really does matter for us here in Australia is that uh, that calendar is going to finally work in our favour. So many A League, good, good, solid A League sides have won championships and premierships and then rolled into the Asian Champions League and you think, oh, they might go alright but by the time it rolls around, you know, salary caps and injuries and just general mm-hmm. list churn, uh, they're, they're never the side that was actually uh, the one that qualified and could have done some damage. So I think that's a really positive thing going forward but as we know uh, we've lost uh, one of our automatic Asian Champions League qualifying spots so still a lot to do but I think that's uh, good news for Australia. Yeah, well that's a topic we'll have to spend a fair bit more time talking about because that, that is uh, you know the sort of elephant in the room of Australian football apart from the Western Sydney Wanderers uh, you know, triumph against the odds our inability to perform at that level and if we are going to be taken seriously in our own confederation then we need to be competing on a regular basis at that level in club football obviously. Alright, well done Willem. Um, okay, uh, we are going to talk to one of our favourite journos in Australia after the break. Edge and I are going to break down the Matildas series against the United States national women's side. Uh, yeah, disappointing results, uh, but uh, they were they are the best in the world and the World Cup is still only two years away, so something's got to get sorted out under Gustafsson. Joey Lynch will talk to us about it after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we set off the top of the show, there was so much anticipation about the Matildas doubleheader against the uh, United States women's national side, the juggernaut that they are all conquering. And the expectation was that we would be at least competitive from the get-go. And uh, it really took from a about the uh, opening minute of the first game to realise that it was not going to be as easy as that. And a man who watches uh, the Matildas Australian football very, very closely is, well, he's a freelance journalist, Joey Lynch. He's got his byline in all the uh, the major and important football publications. How are you, Joey? I'm going very well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on once again. Yeah, mate. Great to talk to you. Edge is with us as well, of course. Uh, but um, your initial expectations, was I uh, laying it on a bit too thick or... or uh, you know, should we have uh, have expected that uh, in that opening match that things would have been uh, just a little bit more competitive, given the amount of time that uh, Tony Gustafsson has had with the uh, the squad uh, under his watch? Well, I think there were multiple ways to look at that game. Certainly, if you looked at the marketing and the hype surrounding it, you would have been uh, expecting uh, a very close contest for the Matildas to possibly push the United States. All the way, it was being hyped up as a dress for her dress rehearsal. Uh, beg your pardon for the women's World Cup final in 2023, and inevitably in one's minds that immediately creates images of a triumphant green and gold outfit lifting the trophy on home soil in 2023. So your expectations, even perhaps subconsciously against your better instincts, go towards uh, good things. But and then at the same, but then at the same time, if you dive down into what the form guide was, just who the United States are as a nation, their proud footballing history, and indeed the statements from Tony Gustafsson when he wasn't uh, describing it as a dress rehearsal for the 2023 uh, Women's World Cup final, when he was talking about the continued experimentation um, with his side, the bringing in youngsters, the blooding of uh, youth, so. It kind of existed in this weird space where there were two separate realities surrounding the game that both were justifiable, um, but one in the end, I guess, won out with what was the 3-0 win in the first game for the United States and then a 1-1 draw which flattered the Australians in the second contest. 
Joey, uh, fantastic to have you on the show, and uh, I really do love your analysis of uh, these two friendly that have, that have taken place. Let's sort of look at the first game, which I thought was uh, more telling than the second game. Um, for me, um, there was two aspects to the game. Our defence, which was severely undermanned, and he threw in players, frankly, I don't think we're ready. And our attack, which actually couldn't, uh, actually did quite well at times, and had it not been for the player of the match, USA goalkeeper Casey Murphy, we might have had one or two goals, and uh, the game would have been a lot closer. Let's just focus on the defence. He has a big problem finding a workable uh, um, combination that's going to uh, lead into a successful Asian Cup, but then, you know, um, get some experience together for the World Cup. Uh, where's he at with the defence and what do you think his options are? Well, I think the looking at the defence, it's a multifaceted problem. The most obvious and glaring one is clearly the centre-back position. Um, in a perfect world where Australia has had a functioning youth system for its uh, girls and women's footballers for the past decade or so, he doesn't have to try to blood a 17-year-old debutant in the centre of defence uh, against the reigning uh, world champion. So clearly that is uh, a problem area now. There has been continued experimentation both with um, formation and personnel, five at the back, four at the back. Um, he ha we have seen the likes of Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter moved in there, which they will do a job, but you know, I think I described it in one of, some of my copy as playing Ellie Carpenter at centre-back is like having a Maserati and using it exclusively to do the school run. Technically, it's going to do a job, but you're really wasting what that car can do by using it for that purpose. And it's the same thing with Ellie Carpenter in the center of defense. Um, so that is one clear problem area. I think moving forwards, we all have our opinions on the need for depth. I would like to see maybe, I, th I observed uh, also that in terms of you can experiment with how well um, the round peg goes in the square hole, but eventually maybe it's just time to figure out how well your square peg goes in the square hole. You look at your Jenna McCormick's who's starting week in and week out in Europe. Um, has she, after what was a pretty nightmarish run um, in Spain and then a disrupted W, uh, sorry, A-League women's, uh, cookie, uh, coin in the square jar for that, um, after mm -hmm. a disrupted A-League women's season last campaign, now that she's playing week in and week out in Europe and she's developing, does she deserve another shot? Emma Checker, yes, she hasn't been playing because it's been the A-League women off-season, but a lot of the players in that squad haven't been playing very regularly either. So do you bring her back, ostensibly in her prime at 25, and do you just try to figure out how to boost the centre-back stock that you currently have to plug that gap? But another really important aspect, I think, when we're looking at the defensive struggles isn't actually a member of the defence at all. It's the midfield in front of them. Now, traditionally, the Matildas... Um, Tony Gustafsson is trying to change this in his own words. He's trying to become a ball-dominant um, attacking side. But traditionally, the Matildas have been a very transitional side. They get out quickly, they move in pace, and they haven't really been able to grab the midfield by the scruff of the neck and control games. The problem with that is that when you don't have a midfield that can do that and you're struggling um, in defence and you're struggling in aspects that if you can't control the game in the midfield and you can't effectively manoeuvre the ball from defence to attack reliably, you are going to turn the ball over in poor positions. And that is going to lead to opportunities in transition for the opposition, which we have seen um, repeatedly in 2021 really hurt the Matildas. The United States goal um, 
on Tuesday night in Newcastle. Um, it came from a turnover. The United States break quickly in transition. Let's not beat around the bush. The marking and the tracking was awful, and they'd score the goal. Um, the, their first goal on the Saturday before that. It came after turnovers in the midfield and then the Americans break forward quickly. So it's not just the back four. You also need to figure out a way for the midfield to, yes, emphasise their strengths, getting out quickly, um, breaking in transition, finding um, these lethal attackers the Australians have in space. But you also need to be able to put your foot on it, take control of the game, dictate the tempo. And when things maybe aren't going your way, take the sting out of the game and Right now, the players that were playing as a six, uh, Emily Van Egmond, Kyra Cooney-Cross, they're more suited to being up the field. You know, Emily Van Egmond needs to be playing as a 10 to maximise her skill set. She's not an optimal, not optimal as a six. It's, you know, it's wasting her talent and it's also not optimal for the Matildas from a defensive or an offensive standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the defensive midfielders, in particular that number six position, is a critical component of... Um, uh, structure and, and, and success. Emily's played in that position at the 2019 Women's World Cup, and I think most analysts agreed that uh, she was wasted in that role. And obviously, the last real consistent number six the team has had was Elise Keller Knight, who, gee, it's been, what, almost two years since we've seen her in action, and, uh, and she's coming back from double uh, long-term injuries. So um, that would be a unlikely prospect that she would figure in. So um, a lot's been made of Claire Wheeler's little cameo in Newcastle. Is Claire Wheeler an option that might alleviate uh, the ability for Van Egmond to play up the field? I think Claire Wheeler would absolutely be one of the options that you'd want to look at in extended minutes. Um, I think maybe one of the problems is that she saw very few minutes against the United States um, on Tuesday in Newcastle, and now ostensibly the Matildas don't have any more warm-up games before the um, Asian Cup. Now, maybe you blood her in some of the uh, warm-up games, not warm-up games, sorry, some of the early group games at the Asian Cup where, with all due respect to Asian football, if the Matildas aren't winning those games comfortably, we have a gigantic problem on our hands. Um, but th there's other options as well. I mean, I think a huge player... Well, uh, metaphorically, a huge player because it's certainly not literally. Um, Katrina Gorry coming back um, this A League women's season um, in uh, with uh, Brisbane Raw. Um, at, she's the 2014 Asian Player in the Year, and we could see her maybe operating n not as a traditional six, but maybe sort of like a register playing there in front of the back four, serving as a deep lying playmaker because she's got the talent to do that. I know my colleague at ESPN. Ante Jukic, he can talk for hours about um, the skill set and unique abilities that Katrina Gori not just has in women's football in Australia, but just football in Australia in general, the attributes she brings. So she would be another option. Um, a player like, um, it's unfortunate, like a player like Alex Chidiak maybe uh, slotting in there in the midfield with her ability to pick a pass and dictate play, but unfortunately she hasn't been playing in Japan, so she's not an option. So moving forward, there are options it's just about whether they can get their amount of minutes into them they can find form and they can push into Tony Gustafson's plans this is box to box we're talking to one of Australia's best football journalists freelancer Joey Lynch about uh, the fallout from the Matildas uh, 
two-match series against the United States national women's side. And, Joey, look, the, the expectation, the, the, the pinnacle that the Matildas are now on in Australian sport um, suggests that uh, that there are a lot of uh, eyeballs watching them uh, that otherwise would not watch football or the women's game, for that matter, as a general rule. Uh, how much time do you think uh, Gustafsson has and, and Australian football has to, to get this formula right? Uh, uh, I, I think back to the days of the hockey ruse winning gold medal and, uh, and they were the flavour of the month, the Wallabies as well, that, uh, that national sides can, can peak and, and sit at uh, the top of the mountain for a while. But if they don't keep on getting the results, then the public interest starts to shift. Am I being too concerned about this or is this something that we, we need to take into consideration? I mean, I think there will inevitably peaks and troughs when it comes to national teams' popularity. I mean, you probably could have gotten uh, pretty good odds on the Socceroos being the most popular team uh, in Australia and around uh, 16 years ago in 2015 after John Aloisi's penalty. So there will be inevitable ups and downs that come with this in between World Cup cycles and the likes. I don't think... I think with the growth that we're seeing of women's football, not just at an elite level with... um, the growth of A-League women's and uh, in Asia and around the world. We've seen the biggest brands in world sport, the likes of Barcelona, Chelsea, uh, Juventus, um, or Paris Saint-Germain. All of these clubs are developing and really pushing women's sides. So there is a, a wave of momentum surrounding the women's game that I don't think we'll ever see it fall below. Like you talk about the hockey ruse. I mean, I'm not. I won't. I will freely admit that I'm not the world's biggest hockey fan, but I would just look at the ju- the differences in junior participation between the two sports, and there is always going to be a larger potential fan base for football, purely based upon just how many kids play the game and how many kids grow up watching the national teams on a regular basis and pretending to be Sam Kerr or Tim Cahill or Emily Gielnick or Ellie Carpenter in the backyard. Um, so I think there'll be inevitable troughs and valleys. I don't think it will trough before 2023 because um, a, a World Cup coming to these shores, I think at this point um, the Women's World Cup is effectively the third or the figure, or the, the third or the fourth biggest sporting event on the planet um, after the Men's World Cup and the Olympic Games. So it's going to be a huge deal, pretty big deal. But, I mean, inevitably um, there will be a downturn, this golden generation of the likes of Kerr will age and retire. So whether the next generation can step up, we'll, we'll see how well that popularity can be maintained. Um, but I don't think we'll get back to the uh, the dark days of when um, our women's footballers had to get changed behind trees or mm. um, the light, or changed in cars because there was simply no interest, no money, no sponsorship, anything like that, thankfully, because never again should you know female athletes have to go through that um, I'm not going to swear, but that BS again. Yeah, bullshit will do. That's what it was. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Joey, um, uh, one of the great uh, positives out of these two games for me was the comeback of Lydia Williams. Um, she'd been in the doldrums in international football for, for a while, and it looked like Tegan Micah had nailed down that number one spot, but I thought her performance uh, in Newcastle was the best she'd probably put in for, for about 18 months. What did you think about Lydia's uh, performance, and can she... Uh, um, can she maintain her regard action and uh, and, and sn- snatch back that number one spot? 
I think she absolutely can. I mean, she's got the talent to do it. She does. You, you don't earn um, a move over to Arsenal Football Club like she did and players for the Matildas as long as she has, um, unless you don't have that talent. And to be honest, I think bring on the competition between her and Tegan Micah. I think we've gone... Well, Australia, I think, is in both the men's and the women's game, is unusually blessed with our goalkeeping stocks. I'm not sure whether it's because... Um, our junior kiddies grow up with a ball in their hands as well, playing rugby or AFL, uh, netball and the like, as well as football. But we just seem to keep pumping out really good goalkeepers. And I think um, iron sharpens iron. Competition breeds the best things. So, I mean, bring on Tegan Micah and uh, Lydia Williams competing for it. Um, it should be interesting. I don't think uh, Lydia Williams, assuming she doesn't fall off a cliff, has to worry about her space in the squad. I mean, her presence in the dressing room, even without... Um, actually serving as the starter is far too valuable to lose. I mean, just look at all the um, committees that she's on. I think she works for, she's on a FIFA Pro committee. I think she's on an IFAB committee. I know she's on the PFA's executive committee. She's a figure that demands respects from all of her peers. So I don't think she's going anywhere anytime soon. It's just, um, can she overhaul Tegan Micah? That will be the big question. Well, Joey, you paint a, uh, a pretty realistic but optimistic picture of what we've seen. Uh, we would have liked to have seen better results in the last week, but uh, hey, it is the US national women's side, the best in the world. So uh, uh, so if uh, you know we, we did manage to, to get that one all result, uh, admittedly it was uh, somewhat of a second string side, but as Edge often says, you know, the depth in the American uh, system, they could put three teams out and they'd be the equivalent of a lot of uh, countries' international best sides. So uh, we'll uh, we'll keep watching this space. And as you say, there's a couple of years ahead to the Women's World Cup where uh, the um, the women's football agenda will just grow and grow and the Matildas, hopefully uh, under Gustafsson, will uh, we'll get the formula right and we'll see uh, the likes of Mary Fowler become the next genuine superstar that we all uh, hope and uh, expect to, to become so, Joe, thanks for joining us again, mate. Um, we'll talk to you again soon, and uh, hopefully uh, it might be after a better result for the Matildas. Mm. Absolutely. And I mean, very much looking forward to the A-League women's season coming up as well. Tony Gustafsson staying in the country for a while. He's going to be watching. So what better opportunity for some of the uh, players that maybe haven't gotten a shot yet in the squad that probably would you would consider unlucky to really step up and grab that opportunity by the scruff of the neck and uh, let Tony know I'm here. You need to be picking me because I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. That will be good to watch. Very interesting to see which uh, diamonds from the roughy picks out of that. Joey, thanks for joining us again, mate. No, very happy to do so, guys. Okay, stick around. Next on Box to Box, we're talking more Matildas. We're talking more Socceroos. Willem will be with us. Edge is going to stay there. Stick around. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. Great chat with Joey Lynch there. Well, there's a lot of work to do. Hopefully, Tony Gustafsson is the man to do it. Well, we're going to talk more Matildas and Socceroos in a moment with Willem. But before we do, can you believe it's only three weeks till Christmas? Well, this Christmas, you can beat Santa to the Christmas tree and get all your shopping done early. Of course, we're at Gemma's Warehouse. They've got a great range of big brand fragrances that are sure to make the perfect gift. You could go classic and elegant with Hugo Boss bottled 100ml, just $49.99. For something more modern with a fresh scent, try Jimmy Choo Man. 
100ml, $59.99. And for a warm, woody scent with spicy notes, the sort of thing I think Willem might roll with, try the Isimiyaki for men, 125ml, very classy, $69.99. Chemist Warehouse, gentlemen, the great savings are every single day, especially at Christmas. All right, boys. Bop, bop. Thank you. I was waiting for something. Getting, getting nothing from Edge there in Bangkok. Uh, maybe uh, his sound effect um, sort of machine vibe isn't working over there. Um, well, I was just lamenting that I'm going to miss the opportunity to get into Chemist Warehouse before Christmas to stock up. You can do it online. You get I can it do that online. That's a from good Dornish. idea. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, no. That's, 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 well, you learn something new every day. There you go, mate. All right. Uh, Willem, what do you got for us? Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army, with teams qualified and the playoff routes decided, the World Cup really does feel increasingly more and more real with each passing day. So make sure you're on the Green and Gold Army mailing list to be notified immediately once packages for Qatar go on sale. Head to ggatravel.com.au. Mass Luongo, you hear it more and more. Michael, he's backed up his return from injury with a full match of Sheffield Wednesday in a two-all draw with Wickham, while Bailey Wright and Sunderland had a win, which keeps them just inside the playoff position. To Germany, Jackson Irvine and St. Pauli continued their march towards the Bundesliga with a 3-2 win away to Nuremberg. 15 matches in, they hold a three-point lead atop the tail and will be following that one right through until the end of the season. In Greece, Jimmy Jacko and Aris had a win in the Thessaloniki derby over Pauk. That match was suspended and restarted as flares were thrown off the pitch. And in Turkey, there was a phenomenal win as is Bayic and Ketasunspor 4-0 over Besiktas. Michael, Bayic is a little bit on the nose with the uh, the Socceroos. Perhaps I've been a bit critical of him myself, but his league form, although under the radar, because we don't really give Turkey the Turkish league the credit it deserves, uh, his league form is consistently brilliant. 4-0 over Besiktas. Yeah, and look, Aziz is a good performer in that league and uh, the Turkish league is a good league. It's not a... Uh, not a great league, but it's a very good one. And uh, and as you and I have always said, Willem, if you don't play Aziz Beach in the Socceroos, who do you play at left back? Yeah, we've had this one. Yeah, we've had this debate many times. Jason Jason Davidson is uh, up and down the left of Melbourne jury. If he can uh, put together a consistent season, which he has done in the past over Tony Popovich, I wonder if he might uh, if he might make a late run for Qatar. But again, he's probably. Uh, less defensively inclined than Bayich. So, yeah, maybe Bayich is uh, the best we've got for now. I wouldn't mind seeing Nathaniel Atkinson getting a go on the right, by the by. Let's have a look at the Europa League. Matt Ryan was given a start last week for Real Sociedad. Uh, they have unfortunately gone down 2-1 to Monaco and will need to beat PSV Eindhoven to advance to the last 16. And Postacogli Celtic took it right up to a far superior by Leverkusen outfit and they really did look the goods uh, Celtic, but ran out of legs and didn't have the depth off the bench and lost 3-2. So they are out of the Europa League. We'll play in the Conference League post Christmas. Uh, let's shuffle on to the FFA Cup. The eight games scheduled for the opening fortnight of December are underway with Central Coast Mariners and Melbourne City joining Brisbane Raw and Adelaide United in the quarterfinals. The Mariners fought back from a man and a goal down in Wollongong to beat the Wolves 2-1, while at Hume City, Matt Leckie scored his first goal in Melbourne City College. Over the next week, Sydney FC and MacArthur will meet for a place in the round of 16, while Avondale will play the winner of Western United and Wellington. As it stands, Rob, of the 12 matches between A-League men's sides and State League sides, it is 12-zip, so not the season for the cup sets this time around. No, it's not, but um, the I think the, com- the competition is generating uh, the, the level of interest that uh, that it usually does. So, um, you know, obviously we want to see some minnows do well to, to create those fairy tale stories, but uh, I know from um, uh, my own older son, Thomas's point of view, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding him watching uh, FFA Cup matches on his computer, streaming them online and, uh, you know, making the choice to watch that um, ahead of uh, a lot of other um 
entertainment that's available. So you know that's that's a testament. I mean, admittedly, one of his mates plays for uh, the, uh, the the victory, and uh, and that's that's one of the reasons. But you know that doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to watch it. So so you know a, a, a yardstick. Uh, to uh, to measure it by, I'm not sure about that, but at least um, you know the competition's back on, and uh, and hopefully we'll you know see one of the minnows get a result soon. NPL clubs hugely disadvantaged with uh, the COVID cancellation of their seasons and mm. having to prepare for these one-off games. They've really uh, they're hard up against it, Willem, aren't they? Let's have a look at the A League men's competition round two action last weekend, and then we're going to have a look at the A League women's ahead of kickoff on Friday. So I've got three key points we're going to go through, Rob. We're going to start in one of your hometowns, the Western Sydney Wanderers. We said that uh, Carl Robinson was probably going to be the story of the first six weeks that he was under the most pressure to uh, get things right, and against the Newcastle Jets, they escaped with a two-all draw. But I was just amazed to see a midfielder Terry Antonis and Steven Yugarkovich just getting overrun constantly as they did. Uh, again, Robert looks like all the pieces are there, but can you have Hamed and Abini uh, in the same forward line? Two guys who might have four to five touches and a half. Uh, I'm not sure. So it looks like really last season has just rolled into this season for Carl Robinson and the Wanderers. Well, if it continues on this way, I'm not sure about whether you can have them both in the same side. But uh, one thing you can't have is a Western Sydney Wanderers side that's uh, not in the top six. And uh, and that suggests to me that Carl Robinson's uh, uh, experience in uh, the A-League is uh, not long for this world if uh, if he can't get a tune out of the squad because uh, he, he might, might be, be the one that's dad. going. Mm, yes. Has he changed anything, Michael? Or as I said, is this season just the last season when we uh, spent 27 weeks waiting for it to click, uh, just rolled into this season? Yeah, look, um, he, he hasn't been able to deliver. I think that's the point. Um, he comes with a big reputation and uh, obviously he's got a target on his back based on the way he left Newcastle Jets and raided them uh, for their good players that time. And uh, I thought the Jets were good value. I don't know about you, Willem. I thought they were good value. And I, I think Arthur Pappas, when he gets some continuity amongst uh, some of those players that are together, you know, no more than two or three weeks. Um, they might be a half-decent team. Yeah, the, the they, no, they look a very decent team, very comfortable passing the ball, very keen to pass the ball. And all of those uh, all of those imports that they brought in, the no-names, so to speak, all look really impressive. So I'm keen to have another look at them in a couple of weeks and come back to you on my thoughts. Don't bury the lead. Don't bury the lead. The big boys are back in town, two in a row, and uh, Amy Park's going to be a heaving place. And, you know, um, the big crowds uh, in Melbourne are back. Uh, if they keep Yeah, winning. well, they're not quite back. You're right. They were heaving. It was a beautiful, sunny day. Marco Rojas, actually, best. We haven't seen that in 18 months. 3 0 over Brisbane Raw. Melbourne Victory did win. It was just a really good, feel good day. Uh, only 13,000, I think they would have been slightly disappointed with that. So that's your rusted on fans who have been. Uh, impressed by John Didalitzer and Caroline Carnegie being those public sort of ministry faces that we've called out for uh, for a long time. Popovich, obviously, he knows how to organise a team pretty quickly and the recruits all look really good. It's about getting that next seven to eight to 9,000, the more casual fans who have been really turned off by what's happened over the past couple of years uh, to really pack out those stands. But no, they, they certainly were heaving the 13,000 that were there, uh, myself included, Rob. Yeah, well, look, uh, the one thing that the uh, the victory you'll be happy with is the fact that uh, they're obviously turning things around. Tony Popovich is getting a result. They're the only team unbeaten in the competition so far. Um, the crowds, well, they might not be entirely back right now, but they will come back. Melbourne City are, are second on the ladder. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a competitive time. It, it, the, the, the tide seems to have turned, really, doesn't it? I mean, you know, no one's talking at the moment uh, about Sydney FC. I guess we're all just assuming that uh, that they'll eventually get a result. They've had a bit of bad luck uh, in, their, in their first two games as well, but... Uh, uh, 
but yeah, the, um, the 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 table sort of turned upside down from last season, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, I've got a bit of a premonition about the keeper, though. Caliber, the Croatian, he's come in, he's been great with the fans. Uh, jumped on the uh, the SBS podcast, and he's been uh, excellent with the fans in the stands post games. But I think his footwork looks a little bit clunky, and he nearly got caught out and uh, was saved by the post for a Luka Vanovic goal. There was another save he made where he uh, he's slow to get his feet going, ended up hitting his head on the on the on the post. So watch this space on that one, but. We have said, Rob, MacArthur, they are also going to be a bit of a travelling roadshow, the third travelling roadshow mm-hmm. this season. They're going to host the Mariners this weekend. How many A-League, how many venues, rather, do you think have been at the A-League? Uh, rather, my goodness, how many A-League venues have there been across uh, 16 and a bit seasons thus far? 16 and a bit seasons. Question without notice. So, uh, maybe 40? Oh, Michael? Oh, I'll, I'll, this is a bit like uh, this is wonderful radio, uh, Willem. And yes, I'll, I'll say thirty. <laughs> yeah, I learned the uh, the question without notice from the best. Uh, bang, Rob, forty, and the fortieth <laughs> is going to be one of your home uh, your home decks, Penrith Stadium, over the Panthers. Uh, um, tell us about uh, tell us about that part of the world and that stadium. Yeah, well, the the uh, the Mountain Men, the Penrith Panthers, uh, they uh, uh, have played there since their inception in 1967. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great venue uh, in the old school style, one big grandstand with hills around it. But uh, it's got great lighting and uh, and it's got a great atmosphere. I, I do like um, the, the Penrith Stadium and the fans come out and watch sport there. So um, I think uh, it's uh, as good a venue as any uh, to to generate a, an atmosphere and in a uh, a city that loves its sport uh, for people who are sort of contained in that area. So, yeah, I think it could uh, it could be a success. Uh, Rob, but can you get a Resher's beer and a Villies pie at Penrith? Mm, I think you might be able to get a Villies pie. The old Resher's, it refreshes. Um, but they um, but they like their Tilly's new um, up at Penrith uh, Stadium. So I'd suggest that that might be the, uh, the, 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 the preferred sip. Uh, fair enough. On the A-League, women's kicks off on Friday with Wellington, the new side, hosting Western City Wanderers at Wollongong, and then later in the day, Canberra United hosting Melbourne City at Vikings Park. Michael, I want to ask you about Melbourne City. They've been the gold standard for so long uh, in what was the W League. They did drop to seventh, though, last season. That was their worst return, having uh, having won, rather, four of the previous five seasons. Rado Vitasic is still there, and Rebecca Stott comes in, as does Chelsea's Lissett and Winona Heatley, a couple of young guns. But they've lost some real experiences. They lean on pretty heavily. Alex Chidiak, Tegan Micah, Jennifer Cormick, and good friend of the show, Sam Johnson, also not returning. So has Rado still got tricks up his sleeve with a weekend squad? Yeah, that's right. But uh, they did have a good win over Melbourne Victory in a... Uh the sort of the last serious hit out two weeks ago. Melbourne victory a little bit undermanned with uh, players on international duty. But uh, I think Melbourne City will be a better uh, squad than last year. Um, the two American players they've brought in, a, a centre-back and a, and a striker I'm hearing, are very, very good and they'll be ready to go round one. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, Melbourne City are going to be better. Uh, and Melissa Barbieri, they're going with her in goal. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um and uh, you mentioned Chelsea Blissett. She's one. Uh, there is a real rank outsider for the Matildas. She's a left back. Um, and um, if she's uh, uh, has recovered from her ACL, which uh, all reports she has, and she's only uh, two or three weeks away from getting some minutes, she's one that uh, you can watch uh, as a bit of a rank outsider for the Matildas if she gets going. I also want to ask you about Perth Glory. They were stone cold motherless last, last season. They had a really tough. Uh, campaign batted around by all sorts of non-football issues as well, of course, with the uh, the border 
situation, but they've invested heavily in youth under Alex Apartheid this year. Uh, Hannah Lowry, Claudia Majacic, Sofia Sakalas, Alana Janczewski and Aideen Keen have all been capped at either junior or young Matildas level. And then at the other end of the age spectrum, uh, they've brought in Lisa Devanna. Does that sound like a decent enough mix? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I mean, uh, Perth, as far as women's football go, they have been um, the most under-invested uh, team in the uh, A-League women's or, or in the W-League version going around. They've been pretty disappointing in the last three years just through lack of budget. So, um, yeah, it looks like this year they've uh, done things a little differently. Alex Aparkas went and picked the eyes out of uh, Victoria's young talent. Um, watch Claudia Mahokic. She's a fantastic player. Um, one player that I've seen play a lot, and she's a really beautiful person and a fantastic little player. She'll um, hopefully get some good time over in Perth uh, as a defender. Uh, she's one of the good talents out of Victoria, as is Alana Janczewski, um, who played at Bulleen in the uh, Victorian WNPL. Um, she'll get her opportunity as a, uh, a tearaway uh, left and right winger with a good shot on her. So, um, yeah, they'll be interesting to see. But Lisa Devanna, we know... Her talent, uh, the old girl, um, still is has the most elite speed of any player in the uh, A-League women's uh, edition, and she'll be terrorising defences. And won't it be interesting when uh, she comes up against Melbourne City and mm-hmm. TJ Vlanich? Right, well, well done. After the break, uh, stay with us because uh, our next guest, Mark Lovell, former ESPN journo, he, he knows German football inside out. I'll tell you what he knows inside out is Ralph Rangnick, the new manager, only on a six-month contract at Manchester United. He is a prickly character Godfather. from all accounts. Yes, he certainly will be, and he is. Uh, Mark Lovell, ESPN, ex-ESPN, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. Yes, this goal is of box all. to box. Uh, well, we all know the story of Manchester United post Alex Ferguson. Uh, the glory days are well and truly over, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has just been shown the door. The hope that David Moyes was uh, expected to fulfil in the days post-Ferguson just has not materialised. And, and now we have in the great line of uh, of German coaches uh, play, coaching, managing in the Premier League, uh, the next, and uh, and the next one is Ralph Rangnick, even though it's a short-term contract. And a man who knows all about uh, Rangnick is a freelance journalist from Germany, former Englishman himself, Mark Lovell. Most fascinated me when we reached out to you to ask you to have a chat about this uh, was uh, your knowledge of, of the man himself, and uh, and you mentioned to me that you'd done a background report on him some time ago, and uh, and that uh, the brief uh, pricey of what you wrote uh, reads: he's an egomaniac with the strengths and weaknesses of egomaniacs, possessing all these types of character traits. He's very self-centered, but a genuinely highly skilled football expert, and it goes on. Now, could you give us a little background around when you were doing? Doing these background reports on on who you were doing them for and how this particular one came about. Hi, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. Uh, main thing to stress here: he is a football genius. You know what I wrote as a part of a background report. You know, I was tasked with writing these reports when clubs weren't doing so well and they were seeking a new manager. And you know, I would talk to colleagues in in Germany, in Austria, in other European countries with knowledge of these coaches. And uh, that was passed on confidentially to me. And uh, no doubt, you know, some of the stories that I've heard, you know, where Ranić 
does have a very thin skin, absolutely, and he's a he's a perfectionist. He doesn't like bad things written about them. Who does? <laughs> so, but that should not prevent him from doing an amazing job at Manchester United for six months and leaving them in a much stronger position to challenge for titles after that period. You know, and who knows what's in store? I hear that he he's retained if it all goes well for another two years, and he may have a massive say in the next coach at um, Manchester United. He is a control freak. He will want that power to decide where Manchester United go as a football club. Um, is Ranick in a position, you think, to, to, you know, to have the impact that Manchester United want, particularly on such a short-term contract? Is he, is he going to have the same effect as, say, Klopp or Tuchel? Well, if you look at what um, Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool, you know, an amazing job, but it took him time to turn it around. He didn't finish eighth in his first season, and what Klopp did at, you know, Borussia Dortmund, you know, he won two titles, but it took him time to get that system, uh, that heavy metal football, into place. So, you know, Ranić will need time, but he's only on this six-month interim contract. That. You know, he does have a lot of uh, luxury of riches to play with in his squad, but are they suited to his style of football, that heavy metal, um, pressing power football? Um, You know, I'm sure he will have a short-term effect. It depends what Manchester United are looking for. I mean, the title's gone for another year. I think they would, if they were, you know, said, like, finishing the top four, scrape a Champions League spot, qualification spot, they would bite your hand off for it right now. What about some of the players that that he's going to come in? You know, I mean, he, a lot of managers coming into this role would potentially lick their lips at the, 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 the you know, the quality that, that Manchester United have in the squad. Are there players that you think will benefit from, from this appointment, potentially players that maybe have either not been playing under Solskjaer or players that have been sort of misused by Solskjaer? And do you think um, there'll be problems for other players that will lose out? A lot's been made of Cristiano and whether he's a Ranić type player. Yeah, and it was interesting to see him on the bench, uh, languishing on the bench for uh, a long time against Chelsea. I think one player that stands out that United haven't got the best out of yet is Jadon Sancho. He will hopefully get the freedom to express his talents under under Ranić and and ex, you know, express himself on the pitch better. Jadon Sancho was you know one of the best players in the Bundesliga last season for Borussia Dortmund, and um, you know he should have been better used by England in the European Championships, in my opinion. You know, it's he, a little bit he's wasting his talents for the you know the first few months. Um, Solskjaer definitely didn't get wasn't in a position to to use him. And then they signed Ronaldo basically to boost the share price, not to affect anything, any change on the uh, footballing side of things at Old Trafford. Um, but I think Ronaldo he is the ultimate professional. He will see and hear sort of things that come out of Ranić's mouth and he will, I'm sure he'll be impressed in the short term. He has six months here and he has nothing to lose Ranić, really. I mean, it's United are going nowhere in the present shape of things. Um, I think he will definitely leave United 
um, in a better position after these six months. And if not, they'll be, they're so desperate at the moment. You know, they're so sharp. It wasn't happening um, for him. The players weren't really performing. Oh, it's, there's so many um, areas to work on at United. And Ranić can go in there. You know, everyone's looked at what Klopp and Tuchel have done. You know, Tuchel was amazing, really, to, that he was able to turn it around so quickly after Frank Lampard. Um, but he had such quality players to work with. Um, so I'm sure Ranić will be relishing the challenge to work with, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players in the world. And Sancho, go back to that, is one of the players I think will really blossom under Ranić. What is the uh, the view and the response back in Germany? I mean, obviously they've seen um, a lot of their best players heading out to the uh, the Premier League. I have, I suppose, being the most uh, recent examples: Chelsea, Timo Werner, uh, etc. And of course, we mentioned the managers too. I mean, is there a, you know, a sense of pride? I suppose that Germany is uh, exporting such uh, fine managers to um you know what is sort of perceived as being the, the the biggest league in the world or is it the other way do they do they not like this brain drain and would they prefer to see the likes of Rania Klopp and Klopp and others uh back in Germany benefiting German football I think uh, a lot of it revolves around the German national team um there was a bit of a depression hanging over their performance at the Euros this summer um of course, it would be nice if all these characters like Klopp and Tuchel Ranić were playing their trade in the Bundesliga. But the Bundesliga is in a bit of a has a bit of a problem at the moment. If we're being honest, you know, Bayern have been so dominant. You know, they're heading for their tenth title in a row, and that creates its own problems. Um, you know, Ranić has never worked at Bayern because he's he's a little bit of a control freak, and he likes to have the say on almost everything. So, and that basically prevented him taking a role at, at Bayern Munich um, because obviously there's really strong characters there at that club with Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. And, uh, you know, that was obviously, you know, prevented Rangnick from any sort of role at, at Bayern. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a definite pride in their coaching, uh, their coaches. Uh, I think... Uh, with Hansi Flick taking over as as German German coach, we'll see a, a big push a big push in German football because they're under him, the former Bayern Munich coach. I think German football will start going places again, at least with the national team. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Mark Lovell, who is uh, an expert on German football, uh, expat Englishman, but uh, very uh, much an expert on the subject at hand. And that is, of course, uh, Ralph Ragnick, the uh, well, the interim manager at Manchester United. And you mentioned Hansi Flick. Uh, one of Ragnick's uh, sliding doors moments in his career was uh, was in the mid two thousands when Yogi Lowe was appointed uh, uh, as manager of the Mannschaft. And at the time, Ragnick was in the conversation to be appointed. Um, he uh, now has an opportunity on, well, let's call it the world stage, the Premier League, the, the highest profile competition in the football world. Uh, you mentioned in that uh, background report that I, I, I uh, referred to off the top of the uh, the discussion that uh, he, he it has a notoriously thin skin. Uh, how do you think he's going to manage if, uh, you know, five uh, rounds into his tenure, 
we suddenly see uh, the Red Devils performing at the same level that they're currently performing and, and the, the Red Hot focus is on him? Well, he only has this, you know, worst case scenario, six months and he's gone, you know. He doesn't, you know, United gave uh, Solskjaer an extension of his contract for whatever reason. So he has a very low bar, very low expectations at United. He can only win because I think the players will buy in, buy into him. He'll get the players running more. He will, you know, there will be a short-term transformation in United, I'm sure, and results are the are the best way. You know, watching um, Chelsea, the Chelsea game where it, you know, you watched United and it could have been like West Brom last season. They were just defending, parking the bus. There was, you know, they scored that goal by Sancho by a horrible, uh, you know, mistake by Jorginho. It was like watching a championship side going away to a Premier League club and trying to pinch a nil-nil. And that has... You know, that has nothing to do with Manchester United. Manchester United have to be better than that. And they have to, you know, he will have to go in like Klopp did at Liverpool, sort the wheat from the chaff. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of players at Manchester United on big, fat contracts. And Raniak will have to be stronger than um, Solskjaer and Ed Woodward and get these players out the door and create some space for other players to thrive. Let's maybe finish with a bit of a broader look, Mark, on the on the Premier League and, and look at the results this week mean that we've got a still got a very close title race with Chelsea, uh, Liverpool uh, and Manchester City. Uh, we mentioned the two Germans in, in charge uh, of the two clubs and a certain, uh, certain Catalonian manager who, who will have a big say on this. But do you feel that um, Tuchel could potentially... Uh, deliver the first title under his reign at Chelsea, and, do, and also, do you think um, that, or in that case, Klopp could, uh, you know, bring that title back to Anfield after missing out last year? It's it's going to be great to watch. You know, I mean, Chelsea will be kicking themselves for for not beating United. That was two points drop, but it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a three horse race, which is, you know. It's going to be really interesting right to the end. Defences win championships. At the moment, Chelsea would appear to have the best, the most securest defence, which I think will be important. But there's so many games coming up over the Christmas and New Year period, you know, a lot of injuries. You know, Chelsea look a bit short up front. Um, you know, Werner has found, been found wanting in the Premier League. Lukaku has been injured, you know. Um, Liverpool, you know, the, the firepower that they have, you know, you cannot write them off. But, I mean, they've given away too many leads, um, letting in, you know, three goals against Brentford, letting a lead slip against Brighton. Those might cut, those points drop might come back to bite them at the end of the seasons. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it right until the death there in, in May in the Premier League. Yeah, and it sounds like a time we might uh, reach out to you again, Mark, and, and have an, another yarn about all of this because uh, German football certainly is the flavour of the month from a managerial point of view and uh, we're all fascinated to see how Ranić uh, goes at Manchester United uh, when he uh, takes over the reins. Uh, well, where now that he has taken over the reins is probably a better way to describe it. Mark, thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, mate, you stay well and, uh, and enjoy the rest of the season as it plays out. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating. 
Absolute pleasure, Rob. All the best to you in Australia. Thank you. Mark Lovell, freelance journalist, very kind and generous with his time talking about Ralph Rangnick's arrival at Manchester United. All right, stick around. Next, Box to Box, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time, as we always do. wide-ranging yarn across all of the subjects we haven't talked about so far, and there are plenty of them. We'll talk soon. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial yes, goal this of is time on Box to Box. Well, you know, in the old days, we used to say the fourth official gave us sort of five, six, seven, eight minutes. These days, he gives us an entire half of football to wrap up the game. We're a podcast now. We've got as much time as we need to, so we'll wax lyrical over a range of subjects. Derek, the first of which will be the Premier League results. The uh, Yeah, there's uh, a few um, teams that are really starting to break away at the top end of the competition and some others in big, big trouble. That's right, Rob. I suppose we'll start with uh, Liverpool and Everton. A 4-1 victory there for Liverpool. Everton did get a goal back at 2-1 at Goodison and there was a a possible chance, but Liverpool, as they do, uh, found three or four extra gears um, and and pulled away Mo Salah with two more goals, continuing his sensational form. And we'll talk a little later on about um, him finishing seventh in the uh, Ballon d'Or list uh, on, on this form. It, 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 it just seems impossible that that happened. The Liverpool fans singing Rafa Benitez's name at the end, long after the uh, the Everton fans had gone into the uh, into the Liverpool City night. Um, I don't know if there was a hint of irony there, but the Liverpool fans were loving it. And uh, as you alluded to, Chelsea and City both won, but a little bit tougher for them. Uh, City over Villa uh, 2-1 and Chelsea over Watford by the uh, same score. Jack Grealish's return home. Yeah, Jack Grealish's return home, but um, the person who took all the plaudits was Bernardo Silva. What Mm. a goal Mm. that was. I mean, you know, uh, a a wonderful ball from Jesus, who's actually starting to find his, you know, his feet in this team. And he took it. He took it first time. Silver and uh, the goalkeeper uh, Emmy Martinez uh, had absolutely no chance. And as we said, Chelsea two one over Watford. Chelsea stay top of the league at the moment. We were we were talking to our last guest about the uh, the title race, and yes, um, yes, everyone is now starting to pull away. Uh, West Ham um, drew with Brighton. That's more drop points for them. Good news for. Edge and I as uh, uh, Arsenal take on Manchester United later this week, and it will, you know, gives Arsenal the chance to leapfrog West Ham into that top four, and that that would be rarefied air. But we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But um, down the bottom of the table, the big story from the other night uh, was Newcastle's draw against Norwich, the worst possible start for Eddie Howe as they went down to ten men after barely ten minutes gone. They took the lead with a with a penalty that was nearly saved there by Tim Krul and Edge's man, Puki, uh, coming back for Norwich. That's four points from six games for uh, Dean Smith, the new manager. He'd probably have taken that draw as well. Newcastle now have, let's face it, an absolute must-win game at home to Burnley at the weekend because their fixture list just gets tougher and tougher and... Newcastle are still on bottom of the Premier League, and are they yeah, still Newcastle haven't. fans, Derek, must be. Yeah, they must be losing heart. They really must be. Mm. Well, look, the the atmosphere against Norwich was red hot. So the ground was absolutely full to capacity. The the noise was 
Definitely there, Reg. Um, but this is the third game of the uh, the house spell and the, the fourth game of the sort of the post-Ashley era. They still haven't won a game. Uh, no team that has won this many, uh, sorry, that hasn't won this deep into a season has uh, stayed up. So, um, you know, history not against Newcastle here. The difference here is that the teams in similar positions, whether it be Derby County or others, uh, don't have the checkbook that Newcastle have. But you just wonder whether it's uh, going to be uh, too late uh, for them to, to do something. Eddie Howe has got to get a result at the weekend. And, uh, you know, we will we'll, we will watch with interest. Uh, Leeds, pretty lucky in their draw. It was a soft penalty, I thought. Didn't, didn't agree with the handball decision there. Uh, and Leicester drew to all uh, their kind of stuttering form continues, Rob. So it, it has been an exciting midweek uh, in the Premier League, but but not much has actually changed table-wise. No, it hasn't. And uh, we talked to, to Rob Tanner last week about Leicester City and, uh, you know, the uncertainty there. Well, now that uh, we know that Brendan Rodgers is no longer on the, uh, uh, the in the conversation to, to head to Manchester United, maybe some of those elements will be taken out of play and he can get them back into into the kind of form that saw them sitting in the top four for the last two seasons for pretty much the entire uh, Premier League season until they dropped out. So uh, that'll be a club to watch in the back half. Of, of of this season, yeah, I'd say worrying times for um, for, for uh, Leicester. Their, their form is is stuttering, as we said. They're not beating the teams that they that they used to used to beat quite comfortably. So um, yeah, like I've got to, I've got to agree that it's a um, it's, it's 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 tough times for them. Uh, the other, th- one of the other things I wanted to mention, Rob, was uh, going to women's football. I, you know, this this w- scoreline jumped off the BBC website <laughs> the morning a couple of mornings ago. Uh, England beating Latvia twenty nil. Uh, the you know the record win for uh, f- uh, for for uh, the lionesses, and of course, uh, Faye White uh, beating that record and. At, you know, 32 years old, still, you know, very much, you know, a lot of, a lot of time left in in her career to to take that, you know, even further. I thought I'd get Edge's kind of perspective on this. Quite often, in in even in international football, you don't see these cricket stores because the teams, even if they know that they've won comfortably, end up taking their foot off the gas. Uh, even just out of respect to the pitting they're playing, uh, Edge does this. Does this show a, a total ruthlessness from the England team? And also, is this just kind of indicative of the women's game where it's come so far, but you can get these just enormous mismatches and these kind of results uh, will happen? Um, England is, you know, they made the uh, semi-finals of the Women's World Cup in 2019 and went down in an incredibly close game to the United States. You know, it could have, they could have uh, won the whole thing in 2019. They're one of the best teams in the world, Latvia, Amino. I think in women's football... Um, the, I think you need to take a bit of a strategic view of this. Some of these teams, like Latvia, they've only played a handful of internationals there. They're, some of these Eastern Bloc countries are establishing their women's programs for the first time over the last sort of um, you know three or four years. Um, they will take a long time to get up to speed. I can remember Australia beat Thailand um, in 2001 or 2002 by 15 goals to nil. And uh, by 2018, uh, in the semi-final of the AFC Asian Cup, we beat Thailand 1-0. So uh, it does take time, but uh, you've got to start somewhere. And um, I think 
uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, the minnows and getting thrashed, they have to get thrashed to get better. And uh, I think in women's football, that's uh, unfortunately there's a lot of programs internationally around the world that are, um, you know, they're just starting and they're coming from a long way back. And Latvia would would be one of those, I would assume. Well, they only debuted in international football in 1993. So in in historical terms, that's not that long ago. So uh, as you say, you know, we've seen plenty of minnows in Oceania come from, uh, you know, nowhere to, to be competitive. And now we look at the likes of, as you say, Thailand, the Philippines, Vietnam as genuinely well, competitive. Thailand made the World Cup, didn't they? Yeah. Thailand made the World Cup in 2019. So that's a good example of, um, you know, when a, when a country gets organised from, you know, it's going to take some time and, just in terms of you know Latvia, I don't know how many women play football in Latvia, but I, I imagine it's not many. Now this Ballon d'Or story, I mean, what the hell's going on here? I mean, uh, uh, Lionel Messi, no one needs to to uh, uh, underscore his uh, his position in, in, in world football, and uh, you know he, he'll he'll be forever known as as one of the greats. But there's no question whatsoever that that this season he did not deserve to to win the ultimate trophy. He's left um, Spanish football. He's playing in, in a, a dominant club um, in a uh, well, it's not a one-team competition, obviously, uh, after Lyon's win last year. But, you know, Mo Salah, what, what has he got to do to to, uh, to be treated with a little bit more respect? Is the Ballon d'Or losing some credibility? Not in my view, Rob. And I've got to say, you're underplaying Lionel Messi's absolute single-handed uh, triumph in the Copa America this year. Um, I know that you're sort of a Euro snob and you don't, <laughs> no, you don't like to look uh, yeah, beyond uh, Liverpool, but uh, I watched a bit of Copper America and he was simply a, a outstanding. And Copper America is a, uh, a pretty serious event, serious tournament. He, he uh, had a stellar, a st- stellar tournament. Having said that, I think Lewandowski is probably ahead of your man, Mount Mo Salah, and, and I reckon Lewandowski would have been second. Um, 38 goals in 30 league games. Edge, you know, I rate your credibility in terms of knowledge of football, but when you're rating Lewandowski's performances in the Bundesliga, which is clearly a, a, a tear down from the Premier League. Games in all competitions mm. for Bain from February to September. I've done my research, Rob. Well, of course, I don't really you, expect nothing <laughs> less of you, but, um, but what you, is, you're what clutching is Derek your straws. Think, what does this great Scotsman think of uh, the Ballon d'Or going to, to Leo Messi? Oh no, I, I, I've I've got to say that I, I'm with Rob in that I think it was a you not you know it, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, right? It's a French it's a French kind of uh, award, and a guy playing for a French football team has won it. Um, I mentioned it on the show last week already, you know, saying that I wondered if the Ronaldo Messi cabal was going to be broken up, and I was being kind of rueful there. I didn't expect it to be broken up. This kind of fetish, fetishization of Lionel Messi continues. You know, he is the greatest player that's ever played the game. He hasn't had the greatest um, twelve months compared to other people. Um, the Mo Salah situation, I kind of rate it a little bit like um, Thierry Henry when he was being overlooked, and this would have been at the start of the run, the run of the kind of Ronaldo, the Messi kind of era, even just before. Um, I just don't think Premier League players are going to win win this. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's a, um, you know, just because, I don't know, there's some maybe envy or jealousy about the, the, the EPL. I don't know if it's kind of European parochialism. I've got no idea. Um, Mo Salah uh, is 
the most gifted footballer and on-form footballer in, in the world alongside Robert Lewandowski. I actually can't split them. They're, they're two different kinds of players. You've got like a raw goal scorer and you've got an artist. And, and, and to be honest, I'm probably going to fall on the side of the artist in Mo Salah uh, just because he, I think he's just taking the game to 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 another level uh but yeah it's it's uh yeah like just same old story unfortunately with Ballon d'Or and to answer your question Rob probably it's certainly losing a little bit of credibility for me but I I wanted to ask Edge about the women's Ballon d'Or and Rob's just prompted me absolutely with a message <laughs> about that um right on cue telepathy is there um Edge I don't know a lot about the women's game I can see Sam Kerr there in third place and obviously Arsenal's Vivian Miedemar we spoke about her on a show recently but um, is Alexia Putellas, and I hope I haven't butchered her name, is she, is she a worthy winner ahead of her teammate, Jennifer Hermoso? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, how do you rate the women's leagues? I mean, we, we can do it in the men's game pretty comfortably. In the women's leagues, they're still developing. And the women's Super League has probably been a little bit behind its competitors. So the answer is probably yes. Um, and there is some... The bottom half, the bottom half of most of the the, the good women's leagues are uh, less competitive, and 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 probably more so in the women's super league in England. So, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to absolutely nail, but um, I'd probably think they got it right. Edge, what about these lines out of Qatar? You know, you're, you're kind of fresh out of the the Middle East, and and you've got a couple of stories to bring us home for this show. Well, it's obviously you know the the ongoing. Um, dialogue around uh, Qatar's uh, worthiness to be host of the World Cup continues. And, and news reported widely, Rob, that Qatar used a former CIA officer to spy on rival countries and FIFA officials who were charged with picking the winner. Kevin Chalker was his name, and he was he was given the uh, authority uh, to surveil, and he posed as a photojournalist to keep tabs on rivals. He even deployed a Facebook honeypot. Do you know what a Facebook honeypot is, Rob? You probably don't. Well, it's, I, it's, I think it's pretty much self-explanatory, really, but you, you go he on posed, to talk He posed online as an attractive woman to get close to his male targets. Uh, dubbed Project Merciless, um, you'd have to say it was successful and money well spent because Qatar won the World Cup bid and they will uh, be hosting it next year. But um, off the back of that news, Discovery Channel has also commissioned a new documentary series, The Men Who Stole the World Cup, which will look at award the awarding of the 2022 FIFA World Cup if you were one of the producers Rob who would you who would you cast in the role as Kevin Chalker the the retired CIA CIA operative who went undercover for the Qataris there's only one who man would be, only yeah, one who man. would it be it'd be Daniel Craig definitely <laughs> yeah. he'd do a great job what yeah. about you Willem who would you cast oh or um, who would you cast in the role of Seth uh, Blatter? <laughs> I'd pre- I'd choose one of the uh, the former um, characters, uh, Steve Sharipa, who played Bobby Bacala in The Sopranos. What about Anthony Hopkins? What about Anthony Hopkins? He would a bit of makeup. He'd do a good job, wouldn't he? <laughs> Maybe you could bring John Candy back from the dead and have him as uh, Big Seth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm. Now, guys, I, I know not, not everyone's had a chance to comment on this, but I, I do want to take it back to a little bit more seriously while on the subject of Qatar because there, there was a, a, a story during the week published in a, a number of publications uh, around Josh Cavallo, who, as we all well know, uh, came out as the first um, openly gay man to play in a, in a professional league. And uh, Nasser Al-Qatar, the chief executive of the, uh, the World Cup tournament, uh, said uh, during the week on CNN uh, that... Um, Rather than feeling scared, Josh Cavallo should feel welcome in the state of Qatar. Uh, nobody feels threatened here. Nobody feels unsafe. The notion that people don't feel safe here is untrue. I've said this before and I say this to you again. Everybody is welcome and everybody will feel safe. Qatar is a tolerant country. It is a welcoming country. It is a hospitable country. Now, Edge, we know from, in all seriousness, your personal experience in Qatar. You've had a very close look at it and that's uh, your experience um, as a, a tourist. But, but... You know, how seriously can we take this comment, knowing that uh, the um, you know the the acceptance of homosexuality in um, in Qatar is um, well, uh, well, it's illegal, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, it may be illegal, but you know, let's be honest. They, they live segregated lives. The Qataris live their life, and the foreigners live live the other lives. And and you know, there's not. Uh, Anything the foreigners can't do that they can't do in other countries. And uh, it's just there's different laws. It's a bit harder to get a drink of alcohol. You've got to go to a five-star hotel and a restaurant. But look, at the end of the day, um, you know, Josh will be welcome there if he goes as a player, as a fan, um, and he'll have a good time. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, there is there is a lot of um, uh, mayonnaise on put on some of these uh, things about the restrictions in the Middle, Middle East on lifestyles. Definitely... Um, you know, places like Qatar and United Arab Emirates have, you know, um, 10 to 15 times the amount of foreign nationals living in the country as, as nationals and they live a fairly normal life. Um, you know, the, the Filipinos in uh, both countries uh, have a full and, uh, and, and for a full life there and get on with their, um, their sort of customs and go to church and have their big um, barbecue dinners and stuff like that so it, it's no different to um most other countries in the world there are some different laws but i did notice two norwegian journalists were detained for over 30 hours this week for trespassing on private property and uh, had their footage and equipment confiscated and destroyed by the qatari police and um i noticed one of the journalists said that uh, he felt a little bit intimidated by the qatari police and i noticed that the norwegian prime minister uh, called the arrest unacceptable, despite the fact the journalists agreed that they didn't have any permission to go into the camp and film. Um, and the Qataris responded by saying um, the crew members were fully aware that uh, entering the property was against the law and they've been dealt with under Qatari law. Sort of reminds no doubt- me of that opening scene uh, at the wedding in The Godfather where uh, where Sonny Corleone smashes the FBI guy's camera for taking some photos at the wedding. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine as they were... Uh, they were um, I think deported as well. So I imagine as yeah, uh, they were leaving yeah. leaving the country, they had the big red stamp in the passport. Yeah, Don, Don Corleone had a, a different way of handling that. <laughs> so what is your view of that, Derek? I mean, um, these guys um, allegedly, um, according to reports, jumped the fence of a migrant worker camp and started to talk to people with a with a couple of backpack cameras. I mean, is that kosher or not? I don't know if kosher is the right, the right phrase. <laughs> um, I, I just think, I think we've got to, and this will be a big challenge for this show. Um, we, we, we just need to tell it as it is. Uh, you know, we're going to the World Cup. We, we're going to talk about the World Cup. 
uh, we we've got to you know be be honest about the other the other conditions in the tournament and and and, and around the tournament. So yeah, if I can't sit more on the fence there, I don't know I don't know how I could. But uh, yeah, <laughs> let's let's keep let's keep them honest. Let's enjoy the football and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we'll probably be running a bit over Rob. So let's bring it home. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And and look, as we always do, we'll we'll continue to talk about it openly, honestly. No one pulls any punches here, but um, but we 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 like to think we're as fair as we can possibly be. We make mistakes. We're not perfect any more than anybody else is. So uh, we're a football show, and we we comment on some of the politics around it as well. All right, gentlemen, um, Edge, uh, go and enjoy your pad grapal for for breakfast with two eggs. Uh, behave yourself. Don't eat too many of them. I might um, tonight, Rob. Uh, I might just wander out in the street and have an Isan sausage. Oh, oh nice! I'm so hungry. Um, well, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Don't eat. A clear line next week um, as we uh, work through our technical issues. But uh, great job, Derek. Um, out in the rain there in uh, the the wonderful uh, hilly tree change environment of uh, the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah, thanks very much. Rain has stopped. Uh, John Voigt for Seb Blatter, by the way. Has to be John <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's I a like good one, actually. John Voigt yeah. is a great character. Mission Impossible. What was it? The um, Those films he was in with Nicolas Cage. I'm sure somebody can tell me. Um, anyway, we'll tell you next week. Damo, thank you. Sitting over there pressing the buttons. Let's wrap it up. Bring the ship home and enjoy another uh, week of football ahead. And we do hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, tell your friends about box to box uh, we we are uh, growing our audience and, and we know we've got a lot of uh, loyal listeners out there who, uh, who enjoy us every week and we hope you come back next week and join us when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.